Well, it is so good to be with you today. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're just so thankful that you're able to watch us, and we can't wait to meet you in person. Um, today, I, um, the name of the sermon is, What Does It Mean to Be Chosen? And it's taken from a devotional from the TV show, The Chosen, which I know many of you like. And so there's a few lessons that I, that I took from that to, for today's sermon. So do you know or do you believe that every single one of you in here is chosen by God? So when I say that we're chosen by God, what is, do you, do you actually believe that? If I tell you you are chosen by God? Um, I mean, we don't think of ourselves in that way because when we read the Old Testament, it's always about God's chosen people, the Israelites. And so those were the chosen people. And, and then sometimes there were special people chosen, like Abraham, chosen to be the father of, of the nation. And then Moses is chosen to lead the people out of Egypt. David is chosen to be the king, and then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus chooses 12 to be his disciples. The people in the Bible were chosen to worship God and to proclaim his truth to all the nations, but when Jesus came, he transferred that onto all who believe. So, we believe we now can claim to be chosen people. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? She was the very first person that Jesus told that he was the Messiah. And what did she do? She went into town and told everybody. She was chosen to tell everybody. And she wasn't an Israelite. So let's examine what it means today to be, cho to be chosen. Um, before that we do that, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just be with us at this time, just soften our hearts, that we, we might hear the message that you want us to hear. We might be able to understand your love in a, in a brand new way that might impact us and impact those around us. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to be using uh, Isaiah chapter 43, so you can get your Bibles, phones, iPads, abacuses, whatever you happen to have. I don't know what you have. I don't know. Scrolls, maybe a scroll. Or is it like this? I don't know. Um, so we're going to be re reading the first four, first four verses. That's a tongue twister. Um, in Isaiah 43. Our first thing that it means to be chosen is you are called. Let's read the first verse. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
Some translations of the Bible, instead of using called, use the word summoned. And that kind of gives us an extra hint at what the importance of that is. It's not just some impersonal shout into the wilderness, hey, you guys, anybody can hear me? No, this is a personal call. Hey, Phoenix, I have ransomed you. Jeremy, don't be afraid. Andrea, I have called you by name. And you don't just call people you don't know, do you? I have this embarrassing story at work. A couple of buddies of mine, they both happen to be Puerto Rican, so maybe this is why I got confused. But I was talking to Hector, and across the room, several cubes over, was my buddy Henry. And for whatever reason, I decided to call Henry. I was going to, I don't know why, I was going to yell across the room. As the words were leaving my mouth, I forgot his name. And so Hector is there, hearing me say, Hey, Hector! Um, I did a little tap dancing there, and then I admitted, I was trying to call Henry, but I just forgot his name. Sorry. (laughs) But you know what? God never forgets our name. He made us. Looking at that verse again, why do you think God said, do not be afraid? Oh boy, do we know a lot about fears these days. Diseases. Here in Florida, natural disasters. Loneliness. Economy. Jobs. All kinds of fears. But there is something about the declaration, I have called you by name, that erases fear. Because when we know God, and more importantly, are known by God, we suddenly have the power to overcome what once trapped us. We understand that God is all-powerful, and his plans for us are better than anything we could ever come up with. If we are honest, we realized We're made for a relationship with God. The world in our lives just makes better sense when God is with us. I bet some of you have experienced what what I experienced in this story I'm about to tell you. I was in my mid-20s, early 20s, and I was having a crisis of faith, crisis of many things, I was lonely, depressed, and kind of just despondent. Flunked out of college a couple of times at this point. You know, just kind of messed things up. But I decided that I didn't believe in God anymore. That I wasn't, that I wasn't going to believe in God. And I just felt this despair, this darkness, this emptiness that filled my life for several months. And I see that same emptiness on the faces of people everywhere I go. But I'll never forget, it was like a switch. 
And you know what? Thankfully, I, switched, I was able to switch it back on. And that, that love flooded back into my life. But I realize when I was in that spot, there was no amount of self-help guru, book knowledge. There was no amount of spiritualism or pseudo-spiritualism crystals and incense or any of this mantras or any, none of that would have brought the true meaning into my life that God did. And as painful as that was, I think that was a, a lesson for me in, in what God does for each of us. Well, the next thing that trips, up, trips us up about being called is feeling worthy of being called. On one hand, we think, man, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. I got it all together. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. And so we, we hesitate to go the full distance of accepting God with our whole heart. On the other hand, we have the pride of insecurity. Oh man, I've messed up. I am so bad. There's no way God can ever, ever want to mess with somebody like me. Oh man, I'm a screw up. But this view of ourselves also keeps us from accepting God with our whole heart. And the thing that both sides get wrong is they have an eye problem. I'm okay. I'm messed up. When they should be looking at God. We can vacillate between being either prideful or insecure, but thankfully it doesn't matter what we think of ourselves. God sees past our fears and our messy lives. He looks at the person he created and loves enough to call his own. We are valuable to God because he made us and he loves us. We're valuable because he said so and his word is the ultimate authority. He calls us to himself because of who he is not because we are worthy, which means we can be confident in our calling because it is based on God's goodness and righteousness and forgiveness. And what might be the most well-known verse in the Bible, God shows us how he loves us by sending Jesus to be our rescuer. Jesus paid the ransom for us. John 3.16 for God loved the world so much, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to rescue us from the penalty of sin and the resulting eternal separation from God. He came to rescue us from the power that sin has over us and its daily stranglehold on our lives. All we have to do to be forgiven and welcomed into the community with God is to believe in the one he sent. That's it. And that's everything. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is. None of us is worthy of God's loving attention 
to be called by him and to accept his invitation through Jesus to be chosen and rescued in spite of our absolute unworthiness requires us to trust him and letting him change us. When we do that, fear no longer has a place. Fear not. God can heal your heart, your body, and your relationships. Fear not. You were made for more than you have experienced so far. This is one that I love. It just gives us hope. Whatever I've gone through so far, I've been made for more. Fear not. God can redeem your choices and use them for good. Fear not, because the king of the universe has called you by name. Well, the next thing that it means to be chosen is you rest. This is a concept I love. I love rest. There's a popular story in the Bible about the prophet Elijah who was going through a bad time. And God said, Elijah, eat something and take a nap. Come on, dude. Just rest. So is that what it means? We can just take a, eat a snack and nap? I think it's more like we work all the time and we're weary and worn out. I saw a shirt a couple of weeks ago. It was in the logo of Bath and Body Works, that store that I got drugged into a couple of times. You know what I mean, men. You know what I mean. And, but instead of saying Bath and Body Works, it said Back and Body Hurts. I think that's the way I feel every day coming home from work. It's like, oh, man, especially now that I have my post-COVID brain fog coming back. It's, oh, I'm getting better, but it's slow. So what happens when we get to the end of our work week? Yes, it's Saturday. Oops, I just tripped over the laundry that I've been piling up all week. Oh, that grass is knee high out there. There are love bugs all over the front of the car. Oh, we got 30 minutes to make the kids' soccer game. It just never seems to end. Saturday is not really a rest day. There's a story of a little boy who was so excited he was going to go to kindergarten. And he just could not wait to be kindergarten because he was going to be a big boy and go to kindergarten. Well, finally the day comes, he goes to kindergarten. It's, it's going great. And then after a week or so, his family notices he's not quite as chipper anymore. He doesn't seem so excited to go. And so his mom asks, what, what's, you used to be so excited about going to kindergarten. What, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I was excited, but I didn't know it was going to be every day and every day and every day. <laughs> Isn't that how we feel about work? It just never ends. That's why I tell my kids, you're going to be working for the rest of your life. 
Just go explore and do creative things before you get to that point. Well, our study on rest starts off talking about Sabbath, or in Hebrew, the Shabbat. It was first given to the Israelites when they were on Exodus, escaping from Egypt. So we're going to read Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day, a Sabbath day of rest is dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So the Sabbath was and is a day of communal observance that God's people do together, primarily marked by not working. Though that's not all it's about. Having a day of rest shows how gracious God is to his creation and how intimately in tune he is with our needs. He made us so he knows our bodies and our minds need rest. But that isn't the only reason for the Sabbath, though. One was that God needed his people to trust him. They were told, don't collect manna on the Sabbath, only collect enough for that day, but on the sixth day you, you will be able to collect enough for the Sabbath. Of course, there were some who during the week tried to collect for the next day, and they get up and it was rotten. So they learned that God would provide their needs one day at a time. I wonder how many times I don't get rest because I'm worried about getting enough and not trusting God. For some, taking a break from work prevents their work from becoming an idol to them. If all we do is work, then our identity is wrapped up in that. And we have a danger of our work replacing God in our life. But God gives us a different type of rest. And this is the concept of soul rest. Let's look at this verse from Matthew in chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus didn't instruct the weary and the burden to sleep more, drink more coffee, take a vacation. He tells us to come to him. This is when rest for our souls happen. This is when we are in the presence of our creator. We can truly find rest for our souls. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, we read, 
when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. He knows we will go through all kinds of trouble. But when we are his chosen, we can truly rest knowing God will be right beside us even when we are having challenges. It is possible to have true soul rest when you know that God promises to be with you through the deep waters and through the fires of oppression. Well, our third point on what it means to be chosen is you are cherished. Let's go back to Isaiah 43, verses 3 and 4. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You were honored and I love you. It is hard to comprehend being cherished by God. We keep thinking of ourselves and getting in our own way. I met a man a couple of years ago at a, at a conference and he was doing a session on transformational prayer. And I've never experienced anyone who had the fervor about prayer, who had the language that I'd never heard about prayer, and the energy to convey that. And he had a system of intercessory prayer that deeply impacted me. I actually stayed after the session and talked to him about it, and he prayed this seven steps of intercessory prayer over, over me, and it was powerful. I, I want to give you the first two steps of his intercessory prayer method. One is to express gratitude for answering the prayer about to be offered. And here's the one that applies to us today. Number two, you are to rehearse identity statements over their life of the person you're praying for. Identity statements. You are beloved. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a daughter or son of the king. Do you identify as a child of the king? We pray to our heavenly father. My the same friend at that conference, he went so far as to call God Papa, creating an intimacy and an immediacy of access that we are loath to take advantage of. We don't realize it's available to us. Jesus used the Aramaic term Abba, and that translates better in English, to daddy than it does father. So 
So maybe Papa shouldn't be so foreign to us. Maybe that shouldn't be so strange to us. We are called children of the king. You are a daughter or a son of the king. As a daughter or son, you are searched for when you go astray. We are cherished because we are children of the king. We don't really have the concept of king. Um, We just kind of celebrated our separation from that a few days ago. And so we, in our culture, we just don't get it. Maybe if we were the son or daughter of a billionaire or mega celebrity or rock star or something, we might understand. But God cares about you and not just the big stuff. And I want to I use this story as proof of my argument What was Jesus' first miracle? Was it healing leprosy? Was it raising the dead? Was it making the blind see, the lame to walk? No. He, He announced his ministry by turning water into wine just so the family that was hosting the wedding he was at would not be shamed. Now, we don't understand that because we have a guilt-based culture, but in the Middle East at that time and in other places in the world, there's a shame-based culture. So these people, they lived close together, and if they were shamed by not providing for this party, it would not go away quickly. They would be kind of a pariah in the community. But why would God care about someone being shamed and for a wedding. Not only did Jesus keep them from being shamed, but the master of the wedding banquet was so impressed, he ended up praising the hosts, the family that hosted the wedding and elevating their status. Why do this unless he cherished these people? And the crazy point about this to me is we don't even know their names. They weren't important people in the community. They were just hosting a wedding and Jesus happened to attend. But God cherished them so much that he was willing to announce his ministry to the entire world and all that that meant just so an unnamed family would not be shamed at the wedding of their children. Finally, we know we are cherished because, of, because Jesus was given in exchange for us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 tell us, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. In spite of having nothing to offer him, 
We are cherished by God. Who else chooses you when you have nothing to give them? So what can we do with this? I think the main thing we can do is keep reminding ourselves. I'm called by name of the Lord in heaven. I can get true soul rest in God. And I am cherished beyond my comprehension. I want to introduce you to a concept that I came up with to help, help us visualize um, what we can do, how we can do this. So if we're an athlete, we don't train the week before for a marathon. We don't get up one day and say, oh, it's the Olympics next month. Well, I guess I'll do that. No, it's months in the gym. You guys have a gym. It's months in there, sweating and, and working every day, working different parts and getting all parts strong and coordinated and healthy. Now, what do we do with our spiritual life? I want to introduce the concept of a spiritual gym to us today. We can work out every day in our spiritual gym. What are our workouts? Read the Bible, talk to God, talk to our Creator. We can affirm these beliefs. We are called, we are chosen, we can find rest, we are cherished. We can meet in community with other believers so we can build each other up. These are the things we can do in our spiritual gym. Now some of us, it's just, we're doing a lot. It's just like, well, maybe I'll just eat, eat a little better. But for others of us, it's like putting on support hose. We gotta start a little, little farther back. But we all can go to the spiritual gym and be ready so that we're not having a crisis of faith when something, when life happens. And we need, the, we need God to help us carry us through so we have that, that relationship with him. Let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for caring about us so much that you know exactly what we need. You send all the things that we need. Thank you for putting people in our path that help us to grow and help, help us to teach others the truths that we are learning. Oh God, we thank you so much for this community. We pray for this community around us that we might be a light into the darkness shine in and help these people that we love to come out of the darkness and into your light. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom 
for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours <coughs> because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. People of God, bury that in your heart this week and be encouraged. You are dismissed. <laughs>